Hello and welcome to episode 422 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. It is my pleasure to be with you this morning. My name is Terrence M. Stanton. We are recording on Thursday, January 26, 2023, in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us begin with the Thursday prayer to the Most Blessed Virgin Mary to obtain heaven by St. Alphonsus Liguri. O Queen of Paradise, who reignest above all the choirs of angels and who art the nearest of all creatures to God, I, a miserable sinner, salute thee from this valley of tears and beseech thee to turn thy compassionate eyes towards me. For whichever side they turn, they dispense graces. See, O Mary, in how many dangers I now am, and shall be as long as I live in this world of losing my soul, of losing heaven and God. In thee, O Lady, I have placed all my hopes. I love thee, and sigh to go soon to see thee and praise thee in heaven. Ah, Mary, when will be that happy day on which I shall see myself safe at thy feet and contemplate my mother, who has done so much for my salvation. When shall I kiss that hand which has delivered me so many times from hell and has dispensed me so many graces when, on account of my sins, I deserve to be hated and abandoned by all? My lady, in life I have been very ungrateful to thee, but if I get to heaven I shall no longer be ungrateful. There I shall love thee as much as I can in every moment for all eternity and shall make amends for my ingratitude by blessing and thanking thee forever. I thank God with my whole heart who gives me firm confidence in the blood of Jesus Christ and in thee, and the conviction that thou wilt save me, that thou wilt deliver me from my sins, that thou wilt give me light and strength to execute the divine will, and in fine, that thou wilt lead me to the gate of paradise. Thy servants have hope for all this, and not one of them was deceived. No, neither shall I be deceived. O Mary, my full confidence is that thou hast to save me. Beseech thy son Jesus, as I also beseech him by the merits of his passion, to preserve and always increase this confidence in me, and I shall be saved. May all the words that I speak be so many arrows dipped in the blood of thy sacred heart, O Jesus, to pierce the hearts of all who hear them with love for thee. Amen. My dear friends, we are continuing to check out the website Sister Lucy Truth located at sisterlucytruth.org. And once again, the premise of this website is that there were two Sister Lucys, the actual real Sister Lucy, who of course received the apparitions of the Angel of Portugal and Our Lady of Fatima in 1916 and 1917, along with her cousins, Saints Jacinta and Francisco, and that there is also an imposter or a fake Sister Lucy who sometime after 1960 and certainly in public with the 1967 appearance with Pope Paul VI on the 50th anniversary of the Fatima apparitions, the real Sister Lucy was replaced with a fake, an imposter, a fraud. And I think uh, a clear and convincing case has been laid out, has been presented here that that is 100% true, that it's not some sort of wild conspiracy theory, that they're not uh, way off base or anything like that. And a lot of time, a lot of research has gone into this. But let's take a look. You might still be skeptical. Objections and responses. Once again, this is from sisterlucytruth.org. How is this not simply another crazy conspiracy theory? 
Given all of the misinformation in the world, the confusion, and the opportunity for any obscure person to broadcast his ideas across the internet, no matter how bizarre, this is an understandable reaction. Initially, we did not accept the theory of Two Sister Lucy's, and we would not believe it ourselves if it wasn't for the undeniable force of the evidence. We simply asked the reader to evaluate the evidence presented here, which speaks for itself. Unlike with some conspiracy theories that one may encounter elsewhere, the experts and labs that we have commissioned are not obscure individuals or groups that have been dismissed from the wider scientific community. They are well-established leaders and notable experts in good repute within each of their respective fields. They have generously agreed to have their names attached to their work, putting their professional reputations on the line. Lastly, they are not personally invested in the results of this work. Sister Lucy Truth makes no attempt to draw theological conclusions from our findings. We simply wish to present the truth. And if I can jump in for a moment, that's the only thing that matters. Something I've mentioned before on Our Lady's podcast, Dr. Peter Crafe, the eminent Catholic philosopher, saying the only two things in life that really matter are truth and love. Nothing else really matters. So let's get to the truth of this matter. Let's get to the facts of the case. Next questions are, why focus on this issue? Isn't it so small compared to everything going on in the world and the church today? And this was uh, written in 2019 before the virus hoax and the lockdowns and mass mandates and all the madness happened in 2020. There are several points of response to this important question. First, we have to look at the political and ecclesiastical consequences of this issue. Then the theological implications. Excuse me. And finally, the historical importance of the issue of Fatima. If the hypothesis of two Sister Lucys were true, consider the massive implications for what has been happening in the church over the course of the 20th century. If the highest members of the church hierarchy have been complicit in such a cover-up, the ramifications cannot be overstated. Yet we have already seen comparable corruption revealed in the past few decades with all the various scandals emerging from the Vatican. The replacement of Sister Lucy would be one more unraveled thread to the huge tapestry of corruption and radical changes that have occurred within the church, especially since the 1960s. Theologically, devotion to the Immaculate Heart, devotion to Our Lady is vital in the life of every Catholic. Our Lady came to Fatima to establish devotion to the Immaculate Heart as a remedy for the calamities revealed to the seers. Firstly, the vision of hell, and secondly, the wars, persecutions, famines that would occur in the 20th century. But from another theological perspective, the problem of Sister Lucy's identity and the twisting of Fatima cannot but raise the question of sedificantism. Even conservative mainstream church theologians and writers take the issue seriously and respond to it. If one studies the history of the 20th century, Fatima is at the heart of it. It touches directly upon the two world wars, the Cold War, and the spread of communism. It predicted the start of World War II if Our Lady was ignored. It coincided with the Bolshevik Revolution, with the final overturning of European Christendom, in World War I, and finally with the revolution within the church herself, beginning with the first working session of Vatican II on October 13, 1962, the anniversary of the miracle of the sun. 
It is a matter of historical fact that Our Lady came to Sister Lucy in 1929 specifically to ask for the consecration of Russia, as if this were the most urgent matter. The moment has come, she said to the seer of Fatima. We know from history what happened in those following years under Stalin's satanic regime and his policy of dekulakization, which killed millions of lives. Sister Lucy, trembling and sad, confirmed to Father Fuentes that 1960 would be the pivotal turning point in the history of the world and the church since Our Lady's request for the consecration of Russia had not been heeded. She was silenced and Father Fuentes was disavowed. The problems we spoke of earlier, the bizarre change in Sister Lucy, the catastrophic changes in the church, and all of this tied up with the dilution of Fatima over decades of propaganda and silence by the highest church authorities. These are problems at the heart of the church that no observant or zealous Catholic can ignore. We must answer the question. What is the most reasonable explanation for them? The identity of Sister Lucy is emerging as a key to the answer. We are making the small contribution that God has providentially granted us the opportunity to make. Given the severity of the crisis within society and the church, this issue may seem relatively small, yet it is worth the effort. Few have the opportunity to study theology systematically and defend church doctrine. Few can become professional historians and publish how such dramatic changes would occur within generations. Fewer still can combine these fields with the opportunity to publicize this knowledge. Sister Lucy Truth is the simple and sincere effort of Dr. Peter Chonowski's to promote the true and the good in one small corner of the church. I'll pause here for a moment. It mentioned um, the specter of sedificantism. I, of course, wouldn't go that far. The sedificantists think that the last uh, pope, validly elected pope, was Pius Twelfth, and that the, the, chi, the chair is vacant, the chair of Peter, hence the term sedificantism. Um, I believe that the succession of the popes has gone on uh, after Pope Pius XII, but you can see how some people get confused. When Vatican II takes place under John the Twenty-Third, and then the seven sacraments, the manner in which they're ministered are completely rewritten under Pope Paul VI. The traditional Latin Mass is made almost non-existent. And if the rumors coming out of Rome are true, Pope Francis is going to try to suppress the traditional Latin Mass completely. That will never happen, but he, it appears he's going to attempt to do that. And all these other radical modernist changes that have happened since the 1950s and the 1960s in the church, you can see how some people would think, well, maybe there just isn't a pope. I would strongly disagree with that and advise people do not stray into sedificantism, but people are very confused because they have not had clear and concise teaching coming from so many bishops in the church and even the popes for decades. The next section is, isn't Fatima simply a private revelation? Why can't we just ignore all of it? Yes, the Fatima apparitions are private revelations. After a thoroughly canonical inquiry lasting eight years, Jose Alves Correa de Silva, the Bishop of Fatima, solemnly approved the apparitions on October 13, 1930, in his pastoral letter, A Divina Providencia, with the approbation of Pius XI. As Father Antonio Royo Marin, the Order of Preachers, one of the 20th century's foremost Thomistic theologians, clarifies, 
Apparitions and private revelations are not an object of Catholic faith. It is not obligatory to believe in them, and because of that, it is also not heretical to deny them. However, the Spanish Dominican immediately adds, but when the church, after long and mature deliberation, has declared as worthy of belief a specific apparition or private revelation, frankly, it would be ridiculous, rash, and reckless to insist on continuing to deny it without any foundation. As we state above, Fatima is at the heart of every significant political and ecclesiastical event of the 20th century. The overturning of Christendom in World War I, the prediction of World War II, the Bolshevik Revolution, Stalin's genocidal program of dekulakization, and the Cold War, and the Second Vatican Council, which marked the overthrowing of the traditional faith. The miracle of the sun is perhaps the most witnessed miracle in history, Our Lady provided this miracle to confirm the authenticity and importance of the Fatima message. As Antonio Sochi summed it up in the fourth secret of Fatima, the Fatima event has received on the part of the church, which in general is very cautious concerning supernatural phenomena, a recognition that is no equal in Christian history. One may certainly go on living his faith without any consideration of these facts, but anyone fired with an apostolic zeal for the state of the church in the world would be hard pressed to ignore them. It seems suspicious that the theory of the two sister Lucys never showed up until 60 years after the fact, and quite conveniently has been promoted, especially among Sedevacantists, to fit their own narrative. This objection is a textbook example of a logical fallacy called the genetic fallacy. The genetic fallacy is committed when a person attempts to disprove a position by pointing to how or why a person comes to hold that view and so fails to assess the position on its own merits. For example, an atheist may dismiss Christianity by saying you believe in God because you just want to avoid going to hell. But a person's motivation for believing in God is logically irrelevant to whether or not God actually exists. It may just be the case that the atheist disbelieves in God because he doesn't want a place like hell to exist. Likewise, whether a set of wants there to be an imposter sister Lucy in order to bolster his set of beliefs is logically irrelevant to whether there actually was an imposter. The truth or falsity of Sedevacantism has nothing logically to do with the irrefutable force of the scientific and medical evidence that Sister Lucy Truth has gathered. Each position must be considered on its own merits. Sister Lucy Truth takes no official stance on the theory of Sedevacantism. Clearly, the existence of an imposter Sister Lucy does not in and of itself mean Sedevacantism is true, but it certainly raises the question. The fact of the matter is that the theory of two sister Lucys has been promoted for over a decade and by people who are not Sedevacantists. As we state in our response to the objection about how a cover-up like this could be maintained for decades, the development of digital communications and the internet have provided an incredible catalyst for scrutinizing the historical facts. The determination to discover the truth of the matter by utilizing state-of-the-art facial recognition technology and expert medical analysis alone drives this project. And I would like to once again affirm um, whether the folks at Sister Lucy Truth believe in it or not. It's obvious they've mentioned it a couple times that some people are probably promoters of the theory of sedevacantism. I 100% reject sedevacantism. Uh, the Our Lady of Fatima podcast 100% rejects Sedevacantism, I believe um, that all the popes since Vatican II have actually been the popes and that the chair of St. Peter is not vacant.
The next question is, will you not acknowledge the groundbreaking work of others in arguing for two sister Lucys? While the analyses of these individuals may contribute in important ways to the debate about Fatima, they nevertheless hinge on the author's personal analysis and gut feelings. When it comes to two sister Lucys, the analysis consists solely of side-by-side comparisons by laymen. The problem is that any other layman can come along and deny the gut feelings of these people with their own armchair analysis. Hence, there is endless arguing about what seems right to each. SLT's approach is completely novel to what has been done until now. SLT is about obtaining scientific irrefutable evidence of the highest, most objective kind, which would even pass in a court of law. Our reports and efforts have produced precisely that. These findings cannot be dismissed as the supposed loony reflections of a lone individual, but are the findings of multiple experts and state-of-the-art facial recognition technology, which all have independently come to the same conclusion. The next objection, people's personal opinions override any deference to scientific or expert authority. They say, it seems to me, looks to me like, based on what I've read or heard. SLT moves past all personal opinions, which leads to endless bickering. This is why we have commissioned multiple scientific and medical experts, people who are specifically trained and competent in their fields to conduct the analysis that we have asked for. They have all independently concluded the same thing. There are two individuals. It is simply impossible to explain these scientific findings on the theory that there was always one Sister Lucy. No matter what a person may have read or heard, these historical changes in scientific facts must still be explained. One simply cannot account for the differences in every aspect of her life as demonstrated above with the idea that there was only one Sister Lucy. We can take the line of Sherlock Holmes as our own. When you have eliminated all which is impossible, then whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. Next objection. Some dismiss the weight of the scientific evidence. Typically, it comes in the form of a cynical tagline. You get the results you pay for. First, this is an uncharitable assumption that we have dishonest motives, and this alone should be sufficient to dismiss the accusation. But further, it ignores the fact that we have a public and professional reputation to maintain. Publicly conducting this sort of project has consequences. The scientists and experts commissioned also have public professional reputations on the line. Further, they are not personally invested in the results. All of them were given this material for analysis without any explanation of the desired results. They were simply asked to analyze and deliver the conclusions based on their own expertise or technological equipment. They all independently came to the same conclusion. There are two individuals. The most critical response, however, is that we received results that we did not expect or want, such as the iProbe lab or the handwriting analysis of the third secret. If we had simply paid off these experts, then all the results should be in our favor. The fact that not everything lines up as we had hoped or expected is a further proof of their objectivity. Why don't dental work or aging explain the differences in appearance between the two sister Lucys? Dr. Rude Karsten, Dr. Julio Garcia, and Lois Gibson all independently affirm that the preponderance of physical differences between the two sister Lucys cannot be explained away by dental work or the aging process. They further state that the differences are so significant that the most reasonable explanation for them is the existence of two separate individuals. When one considers that the success of their professional careers 
has been based on the rigorous competence of the medical and scientific training, it would be rash to flippantly claim that they were all wrong on the same points. Why has it taken so long to prepare and publish this material? Money, time, and manpower are the simple limiting factors, and any additional delays come down to logistical difficulties. The handful of individuals working on this project all have full-time responsibilities beyond SLT. Further, they are scattered across the United States, and as everyone also experiences, unexpected personal issues may arise that cause further delays. We don't have a dedicated team working around the clock. Regarding the actual commissioning of reports, it has taken extensive time to gather all the relevant evidence. To confirm its quality and authenticity, for example, we decided not to pursue an analysis of one supposed text of the third secret, since there were too many problems with the question document to warrant spending the money. To plan and estimate costs, to judge the return on investment that any particular analysis may bring, and finally to overcome false starts and dead ends. It is unfortunate, but perhaps to be expected, that some have uncharitably assumed that this work is for financial gain. Nothing could be further from the truth. The fact that we have taken the trouble to register SLT as a tax-exempt nonprofit organization is a demonstration of our goodwill and seriousness. All donations and expenses are set aside only for the stated purposes of the organization and thoroughly documented. Frankly, we lose money by setting aside time for this work and we are putting our reputations on the line. The next objection was, wouldn't Sister Lucy's family or relatives or the nuns of her convent have known that she was an imposter? Firstly, we don't know what Sister Lucy's family, relatives, or nuns knew about her, and barring the revelation of some unknown confession, we may never know. However, there are some truths we do know. The scientific and medical evidence we have is irrefutable. All the logistical difficulties of how an imposter could be introduced are secondary details that remain to be discovered. However, we know that the relatives were never allowed to see Sister Lucy face-to-face, -face, but always behind the grill, and in the presence of other sisters of the community. Hence, there was no opportunity for intimate or in-depth conversation. If it is true that the church replaced Sister Lucy with an imposter, if it is possible that the church was overrun by communists and Freemasons, is it not also reasonable to believe that these thugs acting in the name of the church exerted pressure on Sister Lucy's relatives to remain silent and pretend as if nothing were happening? This isn't proof that there was an imposter. It is simply stating that we should not be surprised that a cover-up would involve tying up the loose ends with whatever threats or means necessary. Wouldn't a false Sister Lucy have to have sacrificed her entire life in order to play a role? What could she possibly gain? Many dedicate their entire lives to a cause, and many evil people have made incredible sacrifices for terrible purposes. Likewise, many heroic individuals have sacrificed everything, knowing they would never see the fruits of their actions. The work of internally subverting the Catholic Church in the 20th century by external enemies and conspirators is a well-documented fact. Have not communist or Masonic agents acted as priests and even prelates of the Church for the remainder of their lives? The purpose of playing such a role is simple, the destruction of the Catholic faith itself. Why replace Sister Lucy when the Vatican could simply silence her? For the simple reason that they could not silence the true seer of Fatima, even more so given the Vatican's 40 years of silence following 1960 and its relentless propaganda to water Fatima down into a vague and generic call to holiness, prayers, and penance. They not only needed the silence of Sister Lucy, 
They needed her undivided support. Her writings from after 1960 bear this point out. She called for complete obedience to the post-conciliar popes. Her adulation of these popes culminated in her 1992-93 interviews and her supposed approval of the interpretation of the Third Secret given in 2000, all of which make the Third Secret about John Paul II, the great hero of Fatima. They could not silence the seer. Before 1960, she repeatedly insisted in her letters that obedience to our Lord and Our Lady compelled her to speak. They could not silence the seer, who did not hesitate to criticize each preconciliar pope who failed to heed Our Lord and Our Lady's requests. In 1928, she wrote how Our Lord is profoundly displeased. In 1929, she let it be known that the Holy Fathers themselves would fail Our Lord as the King of France had failed him. In a 1935 letter to Father Goncalves, Sister Lucy's confessor, she wrote, regarding the matter of Russia, I think that it would please our Lord very much if he worked to make the Holy Father comply with his, with his wishes. When Father Goncalves wrote back in 1936, asking whether it was still necessary to insist on this point, she answered, believe me, if it were not for the fear of displeasing our good Lord because of my lack of clarity and sincerity, I would never have decided to speak so clearly. And like a gadfly, she continued to repeat and proclaim the renewed requests of Our Lord and Our Lady in letters all through the years between 1940 to 1952, and for the final time in 1957. At the end of 1957, she said in her interview with Father Fuentes, Believe me, Father, God will chastise the world, and this will be in a terrible manner. The chastisement from heaven is imminent. The year 1960 is on us, and then what will happen? It will be very sad for everyone, and far from a happy thing if the world does not pray and do penance before them. Not only was Sister Lucy silenced, but Father Fuentes was publicly disavowed. The next bishop of Leiria, Monsignor João Pereira Venanancio, said in 1960 regarding the third secret, I can say nothing. Despite Monsignor Venancio's final attempt in a letter of May 17, 1960, to unite all the bishops of the world in preparation for the consecration of Russia, John Twenty-Third ignored it. From then on, not only silence from Sister Lucy, but any further word from her was in total agreement with whatever the church hierarchy wished to say about Fatima and the Third Secret. Not only was the Vatican able to finally silence the seer who refused to remain silent, but they could have her agree with any change to the Fatima message they saw fit to promote. How do we explain this complete change in Sister Lucy's behavior, which occurred precisely after her final interview was published, in 1959. How could a cover-up this extensive be maintained over decades? We don't have enough information to know exactly how the cover-up occurred and how it was maintained. The only thing we have for certain is the irrefutable scientific and medical evidence that there were two Sister Lucys. Nevertheless, we can still suggest a few reasons how it would have been possible to get away with the substitution. Part of what made the cover-up easy to maintain for decades was the inability to share extensive photographs, videos, and samples of Sister Lucy's appearance and handwriting before and after the 1960s. With the advent of the internet and social media, spreading this information has become easy and instantaneous. For the first time in history, we can see for our own eyes how Sister Lucy appeared, how she changed, as well as her handwriting. But imagine being a person seeing Sister Lucy in 1967 or in magazine publications afterwards. They wouldn't remember how she had appeared in the decades before. They would have nothing to compare her appearance with. Before instant communications and technology, Sister Lucy could easily be hidden away in the convent at Coimbra for decades, 
as she was after the Father Fuentes interview. Following that interview, Sister Lucy was ordered to keep strict silence about the matter of Fatima and the secret. The Diocese of Coimbra's 1959 note said Sister Lucy has nothing more to say on Fatima. This was the last official word of the church on Sister Lucy and Fatima. Even when the third secret was revealed in 2000, Sister Lucy didn't offer her interpretation. Cardinals Sodano, Bertone, and Ratzinger merely say she approved of their interpretation. John Hafford claimed that after 1959, the Pope had authorized only persons who had already met Sister Lucy to speak with her again. Everyone else required the express permission of the Holy See. We know that the Mother Prioress of Coimbra, shortly after the Father Fuentes interview, wrote to Father Messias Diaz Colo, an expert Fatima historian, Do not ask Sister Lucy to interpret what she has written or said. Ask this of the theologians. Ask the hierarchy and the apostles of Fatima. This silence on Fatima is reflected in, quote, Sister Lucy's letters after the 1960s. She addresses the spiritual life, the rosary, the life of the church, everything else, always circling around the issue of Fatima. In a letter from 1970, she even says directly, I must remain in silence. As we mentioned earlier, Sister Lucy's relatives had no opportunity for intimate and in-depth conversation. In the 1992-93 interviews, there is no deep conversation but formulaic questions and answers that only serve to confirm the, Vatima, the Vatican's propaganda about Fatima since the 1960s and bolter, and bolster John Paul II as the great hero of Fatima. But now with modern technology, the cover-up is beginning to unravel. More people are able to educate themselves and discuss the matter. More and more minds are able to scrutinize the gaps and inconsistencies. So ends that section. I'm very pleased to be able to bring this to you because it's an issue of monumental importance. The fact that there was, I believe it's on beyond doubt, having looked at all this evidence, that a fake Sister Lucy replaced the real ones, the real one beginning in 1960 or thereafter, and with the first public appearance being in 1967. We have to continue to pray about this issue, pray that the full truth comes to light for the sake of Sister Lucy, for her memory, and that the full truth about Fatima will be given to the public. Let us pray now, my friends, for help and for healing for non-speakers. I want to mention Helping Autism through Learning and Outreach located on the web at halo-soma.org. And also episode 277 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast, in which I interviewed my sister and my wonderful niece about RPM, Rapid Prompting Method, which is a system of communication for non-speakers. It is a revolutionary breakthrough, just like Braille was a revolutionary breakthrough for the blind. So um, the same thing could be said for sign language for the deaf. RPM is a revolutionary breakthrough for non-speakers. We need to get this information out to everybody because communication is a human right. Let us offer up this prayer for healing. Almighty and eternal God, healer of those who trust in you, through the intercession of St. Raphael, Archangel, hear my prayer for non-speakers and their families. In your tender mercy, restore them to spiritual and bodily health that they may give you thanks, praise your name, and proclaim your wondrous love to all. I ask this through Christ your Son, our Lord. Amen. The prayer of St. Louis de Montfort. Hail Joseph the just. Wisdom is with you. Blessed are you among all men and blessed is Jesus, the fruit of Mary, your faithful spouse. 
Holy Joseph, worthy foster father of Jesus Christ, pray for us sinners and obtain divine wisdom for us from God now and at the hour of our death. Amen. By thy pure and immaculate conception, O Mary, obtain for me the conversion of Russia, Spain, Portugal, Europe, the United States of America, Canada, and the whole world. The three Hail Marys in honor of the immaculate purity of Our Lady of Fatima. Ave Maria, gratia plena. Dominus tecum, benedicta tua mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in mortis. Excuse me, mortis nostri, amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tua mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in mortis nostri, amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tua mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in mortis nostri, amen. And a gloria patri for special intention. Gloria patri et filio et spiritui sancto, sicuderat in principio et nunc et semper et in secula seculorum, amen. Virgo potens, ora pro nobis. Sancti Joseph Teradaimonem, ora pronobis. Sancta Raphael Archangeli, ora pronobis. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Thank you very kindly, my friends, for listening to episode 422 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast in your charity. Please share Our Lady's podcast with everyone you know. You can follow us on Twitter. The handle is at Fatima Podcast. And most importantly, please offer up prayers and sacrifices for all of our Catholic bishops. Goodbye and God love you.